Welcome to the Divorced and Happy Podcast, where we discuss all things Act Two. I'm your host, Sadie Marie. Today, holistic divorce coach and relationship expert Maxine Clancy and I discuss the healing and forgiveness process after divorce. Maxine is a regular podcast guest and contributor to media outlets including Thrive Global, Divorce Magazine, and UK Health Radio. The creator of the Divorce Detox Program, Maxine believes divorce is a catalyst for personal transformation and growth. Well, wonderful to have you join us from across the pond today, Maxine. How is London? I love that I get to say that. London. How is London today? (laughs) Hello. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. London is beautiful today. It's one of those glorious blue skies. The sun is shining and spring has arrived. So I'm very happy. We are going to have such a delicious conversation about going from soul mate to soul hate and from the hate to the healing, to the transformation, to finding the gold. But first, I want to hear just a little bit about your story. I mean, what brought you to a place where you now are a holistic divorce coach and a relationship expert? Yes, sure. Um, So originally, I trained in counseling and psychotherapy. So I trained as a spiritual psychotherapist. And I did that because in my early 20s, my relationships were a complete shambles. I constantly had uh, laryngitis. And it was at one time that I was had this laryngitis that I got a book from a bookshop. And it was called Women Love Sex and Addiction. And as I was reading the book, I was, it was just, oh my God, that is me. All the case studies. And, and more importantly, I was just so fascinated by this um, psychotherapist and what she had achieved with this women. I thought that's what I want to do. So um, I trained in psychotherapy and was practicing as a psychotherapist and started to get involved with coaching, new thought movement, NLP, that type of um you know, new models of uh, therapy that was coming through. And I realized that traditional psychotherapy didn't particularly suit me. I I think I'm too fast paced and, you know, therapy is very slow process without necessarily an end result that is tangible in the process of the therapy. So um, I started to practice as a coach, trained as a coach, practiced as a coach, did a lot of relationship workshops, empowering women in their relationships. And it was through that sort of 25 years now we're talking about, at the beginning of my therapy career, I got married. Then I got divorced at the end of it. Um, That was my choice. I realized that I was in the relationship for the wrong reasons. And then I met someone else a year later. um, I was I was pregnant, had um, fell in love, had while in romance, moved countries and had two children. And 12 years into that relationship, I found out my partner was having lots of affairs. And when I confronted you, oh, it uh, took a devastating, soul destroying, Mm -hmm. could not believe it was happening to me. I was 42. And, you know, I knew there were issues in our marriage, but I certainly didn't think that that was what was going on. And, um, So what happened was I, you know, when that happens, when your world turns upside down, you start to question everything. What am I doing? What am I coaching? What, you know, why am I a relationship coach? And this is all I'm sure that was a humbling moment for you. (laughs) It, It was, it was completely. And it was through that process, I realized there was not a lot of specific work 
you know, this was two thirds, so this was 12 years ago. There wasn't a lot of specific, any coaches doing divorce work specifically. And it was through my own sort of healing journey that I discovered a process, which I now call the divorce detox method of going through, you know, hating your partner, hating yourself, hating the world and learning to heal and accept and transform into what I now, you know, think of as finding the gold and having a really, you know, finding beauty out of something that was really a terrible, horrific experience. And that's what I help others do. So it's, um, yeah, it's been a journey, a 25-year journey of, of learning, discovering and finding joy in in difficult times. (laughs) We are so thrilled that you're here today to discuss your journey and also to discuss the divorce detox method, the divorce detox method and the stages. So what is the first stage in this process? The first stage is look is, is finding a sense of emotional freedom and confidence. Um, you cannot do the work of healing until you've stabilized your emotions. And so that's what I call the detoxing your ego stage. It's really about looking how are my thoughts, how are my beliefs, how are my feelings all contributing to the way I feel about myself and finding a sort of like a centered place, finding a place within yourself where you return back to stability and emotional freedom. So that sounds ideal, but I know yes. my divorce. <laughs> okay, Maxine, this is where we start keeping it real. I know in my divorce, I just had so much anger and, the, you know, hate is a strong word. I don't like to use that mm. word, but, it, but it, just intense anger. And, yeah. you know, to go from loving someone so much and then having that intense anger, and we'll use the word hate today. How do mm. you, how do you encourage people to work through that because that's hate can be motivating do you agree with that yes. I mean, sometimes Absolutely. hate can get you to where you need to be you just don't want to stay there you don't want to stay yeah. in the hate yeah absolutely and so I would say as I as I you know, it is a process. Right. <laughs> and and none of the, this is like not a linear process. We go up and down. All exactly. This sort of thing. Very so fluid. let's talk about that. Let's talk about hate and how very. I think we need to. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hated my partner. Ab- absolutely. And I remember he sat me under a tree and said, you know, we can be this really, you know, new, 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 new family. <laughs> I was like, new family? I hate you. I want to rip up your clothes <laughs> and stuff like that. You, you know? let alone be a new family yeah, I can't with you. Bear you. Yeah. Exactly. So ab- absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons attachment bonds we form attachments with our partners you know they are our primary love interest they're our safety our security the person who loves us most in the world and it's very similar to the attachment bond yes ideally yes but it's very similar to the attachment bond that we form with our parents parents. our primary caregivers when we're growing up through childhood yeah so we would rather be attached than not attached we would rather be part of the tribe, even though this tribe has now seemingly abandoned us, left us, betrayed us, done these terrible things possibly, you know, to us, or that's how we feel. And so we would rather remain attached. And when we form such a strong hatred with that person, what it does is it still keeps us attached to them. And that feels safe. It feels familiar. Yeah, it feels familiar. It definitely feels familiar. But there's also an element of 
um, unconscious safety, where we think it's safe that we're still attached to them and therefore we don't have to let go. And that hatred. So we can, isn't it fascinating? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we would rather, you know, so when we're in that first stage, we could be in denial. We can be in complete shock. Um, there's emotions, you know, it triggers the, the fight, flight, freeze response Absolutely. within us. The world is yeah. upside down. Exactly. Our nervous system's gone into overdrive, cortisol, all the different hormones. So when we at least know we're still hating them or it's we have a negative way, it seems. Yeah, it is that. Yep. That negative bond is very comforting to us. The problem is when we take that negative bond too far and we have no emotional stability within ourselves, what happens is we will start over overplaying that bond, yeah, that negative bond to the point where it becomes destructive to us. An obsession almost. Yeah, obsession. Yeah, compulsive. All these types of behaviors where we don't know ourselves. We think, did I, did I do that? And this is when also the brain, our cognitive brain function stops. When we are overloaded with um, stress hormones, we do not think clearly. We have an irrational mind yeah, at that point. The divorce fog is real. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. Don't make big and decisions if you can avoid it when you're going through a divorce, outside of just getting the divorce taken care of. Because yeah, there's abs- so much going on. Absolutely. And so, you know, that is a real period of time. And I think at that moment of time, that's when we hopefully have friends we can talk to. That's where we know we have someone that reminds us of the truth of who we are. But if you can reach out for professional support, for help through a coach or a therapist or a counselor at that time, then they can start to give you some tools and some skills to ground you and to, you know, you have to deal with the emotions. So if we talk about emotions, all those intense, difficult emotions, anger, pain, resentment, jealousy, bitterness, disappointment, all of that sadness, you know, just that that real pain, it's real. If we can learn and even think that for a moment that those emotions are the catalyst for an awakening to Mm. a deeper part of us, and that we can use the emotions to help us move forward. Because underneath every emotion that we feel, there is a positive impulse for something within us, a need that wants to be met. So I believe there's a connection between grief and hate and shame and hate. Yes. Nodding your head. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit, what you see that connection being? So grief and hate and shame and hate. So let's, so first of all, grief is a natural process. Indeed. Uh, whenever we, for healing. yeah, whenever we lose anything in life or we perceive loss, yeah, and whether it's through death, you know, the aging process is a grieving process to, to you know, in all honesty, our children going off when they turn 18 to university or, you know, all those sort of things. There's, there's many processes of loss in life. And our ability to adapt to loss and to cope with the change that it brings and also to see the possibility in change. Possibility. I love that word. Yeah. Will empower us or disempower us. If we see no possibility or no future, then we feel disempowered. And if we feel like, so grief is particularly the emotions of grief uh, tend to be very overwhelming. So intense. 
yeah, especially during absolutely. divorce. Emotions are intense. Absolutely. And what what it's about is so so you mentioned shame and grief and and hate and all these sort of things. So shame is always attached to a core belief about who we think intrinsically we are. Like I'm a bad person. So in divorce, right. we might might feel well, I'm bad because I did something or I didn't do enough or maybe I was the nagging wife or, right. you know, maybe you were the person that had the affair, the affair. So you think you are bad. That's what shame is attached to. Whereas guilt is when we tend to break either usually other people's rules about how we need to be in the world. So if you, you know, I, I have some clients, you know, their religious beliefs says that this should not have happened. They should not get divorced. In, and I've even had clients say, not particularly from a religious perspective, our families don't get divorced. That's huge. That, is huge. that brings up so much guilt for people. And so How there is- forward when you have that type of structure set as a truth yeah, in your life? Yeah, well, you have to examine those core beliefs. Right. Are, are they beliefs that you- as a person, like authentically now in your adult self, whatever age you are in when divorce is on your doorstep, is that your true belief or is it something that you've taken on board and you no longer really believe anyway? So I think that, I mean, I'll have to sort of take a little step back here and sort of say one of the reasons why marriages break down is because very often in our relationships, we are acting out our wounds from childhood we're looking yeah all attached yeah and so we're looking for that relationship to heal and so I'm a firm believer that everything is happening for you and not to you and so very often the work that you can't do in your marriage will still play out in the divorce process that person is still not listening to you that person's still negating you right. and your wishes and your what your needs are. Stonewalling. Yeah. Exactly. All those things, they just mm. play out in the divorce process. And there's just a part of us that- bit, though. <laughs> <laughs> They're intense. They're even more intense because of the simple fact right. that, yeah, you're on hyper alert. You're in vigilant mode, you know? And so that whole process is learning- to recognize, or this is what I teach my clients, and this is how I work with my clients, is learning to recognize, okay, what is the part of you that is relating? Is it you, are you relating to this person from your adult self, fully, you know, embodied adult self that's got all sorts of resources, qualities available to you that inherently knows that you're lovable, worthy, and that you that you don't have to behave a certain way in order to be lovable and worthy? Or is it the childlike part of you, the inner wounded child that's trying to be seen, trying to be heard, trying to get your needs met through somebody who is also wounded and showing up as their child, inner child in the relationship? And this is very often the case. This is what happens. This is why marriages break down because we don't, we don't come into the marriage with the pers- perspective of all my stuff is going to come out and we're here to work on that and build closeness. We, we often have that fantasy about marriage. Oh, we're going to get married. We're going to live happily ever well, after. That's so, and can- that's so ingrained in us. It's so conditioned into us through pop culture and, and other exactly. capacities. 
So here's a question I have to get us a little bit back on track. And I realize this is all yeah. such rich information and I'm just nodding my head. And these are things I've learned since my divorce, mm. doing mm. my own internal work. So back to this topic of hate. So yes. you're in the thick of the hate. How do you work through the hate to get to the second stage? I know for me, finally, I just got exhausted by the hate and I was wanting to move on. It was time for me. I had to go through all of those intense feelings and get to a place where, okay, now I really want, I want to, I have gone through this experience, a divorce. It's time to be happy. It's time to get past this hate and be happy. And that became my focus. So yeah, what, what is that? How is getting from this stage of hate and hurt and anger to this second stage of possibility? Yeah. I love so, that word. The second stage is is the healing stage. Yeah. So I the question I would ask my clients is what is the emotion of hate? What is it waking up in you? You know, what is it? it you know, healing is about taking self self-reflection, self-responsibility. So we start the conversation from a compassionate and kind, non-judgmental place to ourselves, first and foremost, is starting to ask the question, well, what is it that you hate about the other person? What is, what are the, what are the qualities? What are the behaviors that you hate? And how did you give power to that, the way they behaved in your relationship? Because guaranteed they're still behaving in ways that they did in the relationship. So what did you avoid? Where did you not confront people? Where did you, how did you contribute? And as I say, this is a own. Yes, exactly. What can you own and how can you look at their behavior and see what it is reflecting back to you about aspects of yourself? You know, when I looked at my second marriage and my husband was having all these affairs, so the big word there is betrayal. I felt betrayed. Indeed. Now, when I, yeah, absolutely. When I looked back and sort of said, well, where do I betray myself? Wow. Oh boy. <laughs> I had a reaction from that too. I mean, I, yes, we all are guilty of that betraying, not being honest with ourselves, not yeah. honest with others. We do betray ourselves yeah. all the time. And, and, you know, that's painful it to is. look at ourselves and see the ways for, you know, that we contribute to the breakdown. Of yes. our and own relationship. What I learned that all of this hate that I was projecting onto my ex was really this shame that mm. I felt inside. How did I let this happen to me? What is wrong with me? Yeah. And, and when I was finally in a place where I had the bandwidth to look at that, it was incredibly healing. But, but it's sometimes safer to stay in the hate towards the other than to just really sit with okay, I have some work to do here. I mean, that, mm, you don't just mm. get there. I mean, that takes some time, but I was ready. I was like, I'm ready to do that work so that I don't keep repeating something out of love for yeah. myself. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. You must do the work so you don't repeat it. You know, the quality of not the way we- does the, does the work, Maxine. <laughs> no, I know. and the work, so- well, the journey. work is ongoing. The work um, is ongoing. Absolutely. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if there was an end? Like, here's your deadline on your internal work. Once I, th- you I think it's death. Deadline, that'd be great. <laughs> I do think it's death. That's when the deadline happens. Um, it is a process that you go through. And 
I think that we can feel so alone in the process. It's, you know, there's been hundreds of divorce, thousands and millions, there's very millions of divorces. I don't know how many number of people. Yeah. yeah if it's, you know, oh. currently 47% of marriages get, you know, first marriages end in divorce. I think that this whole process, you know, we can feel so alone in it, but we are not. And what I do know we are not. is, we are not. yeah, Indeed, we are if not. you, if you reach out and get support and choose, you know, one of the things I often say to people, uh, the other person's behavior is not personal. And so often, you know, the thing around that, of course, is, is of course it's personal because we're married. It's got to be personal. It's got to be about me. Whereas fundamentally the way someone behaves is about who they are and their limited capacity for relationships, for love, for kindness, wherever, you know, it's like where their consciousness is at. And so when you do the work on yourself, even though we may not like to do it, when you actually do that work on yourself, you do evolve. You, you sort of create your own journey of change and transformation. Transform. Yes. I was just going to say yeah. transform. And that, and that is, that's, that's what has to happen, has to happen in order for you to be able to move forward because you have to accept and let go. And if you can't do that, then you, you remain stuck. And that has lots of negative, you know, in all different ways, physically, emotionally, future happiness, future, all sorts of different things, children. So yeah, it's, we've gone off a little bit off track, but yeah, it is a, um, it's so important to accept that you're going to go through a period of working on yourself. And that can be seen as a powerful experience. I think that, you know, shame is such, uh, I mean, there's so much to say about the word shame and how our shame prohibits so much growth. So Mm. how do we get past the shame so that we can enter this, the second stage that you talk about of the healing? Well, the shame is part of the healing. Like if you're, if you're holding shame around your divorce, I guarantee you that shame is coming up as an emotion because inherently you have some core beliefs about yourself where you where you think there is something wrong with you. So in the work that I do, we we so so emotional trauma is where we have had a significant emotional event in our lives. And we have at that point in time of those intense emotions, we have attached a lie, i.e. a definition about ourselves to the event. And shame usually is linked to I'm a bad person. So whatever that might have been. So if you're feeling shame in your divorce, it's coming up so you can work on it and release release those emotions. And when you go back to the core event like in the way I work with people you can actually release and neutralize those emotions heal them in the body and create new empowered meanings and in that whole process there is this point of remember we spoke about the child and the adult how do you show up learning to shift your power from that shame to an empowered adult what would you like to feel? What's the vision for yourself? Who do you want to show up as? And that is a process. That's a process of, of learning new relationship skills. But it's for your own journey with that stage. Mm. What did you mm. what did you learn about yourself that has really given your 
life such richness or what was that big transformation? I mean, for me, it's just all about, and it sounds so cliche, but just really loving myself. And I know we'll get to that in stage three. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, listening to you and going back, I never felt shame about either of my divorces. Um, it wasn't an emotion that I felt. I felt in my first marriage, I worked really hard. I felt guilt, and I, but I worked hard at trying to make it work much to my detriment I should have just walked out you know earlier and in my second marriage I felt guilt for the children I felt guilty that you know but I, I never felt people yeah feel I never that felt way, and that's why they stay in marriages yeah too. exactly um but what I learned was that I discovered I thought I was being unconditionally loving to my my husband and I realized that actually I had a lot of conditions <laughs> going on. And look, I think we can only love another as deeply as we love ourselves. And I obviously had issues around loving myself and my own self-worth. And so the process of me accepting that he wanted to end the marriage without doing any work on the relationship. That was the hardest thing for me. He literally just upped and left and didn't do any work. And we're both in this field. So that was extremely, I just couldn't believe that he he didn't even want to address the issue or talk about the problems the, the, that he had with me, apparently. I learned that loving him unconditionally was letting him go. Mm. And in that, in giving him that, I learned to love myself unconditionally and to accept the parts of me that I felt were inadequate or that, you know, a bit like you, I had this belief running, there's something wrong with me, you know, so I, I, I grew, I, it's, it's a divorce to me is a catalyst for your own transformation and growth. Absolutely is. And in all honesty, I think that some people will have a catalyst for their growth and it will be an illness. Some people will have a huge bereavement. Some people will lose all their all their money in their business. There'll be something. No one escapes this type of like awakening and an opportunity for you to access a deeper part of you, your soul, your divine nature, whatever you want to call it, if we're going to get really spiritual. Divorce is a catalyst for growth. And if you see that, and if you actually early on can like reframe the divorce process as to what you previously have learned about divorce through movies, through observing parents, family, friends, et cetera, et cetera, because we all have a, have most of the, of our lives had a negative divorce narrative. But if you can reframe that and not ignore your feelings, but actually reframe it and say, okay, this is happening. I don't like it. And I'm going to use it for my own evolution and growth. And so that I can become, come out of this as a more whole compassionate version of myself, then that is, that is empowering. And loving yourself so much to do the work so that Mm. you can have not just the external relationships that you want, but the internal relationship that you want. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. that in this absolutely final stage where we find the gold yeah yeah. so you know you said that you learn to love yourself you learn to love yourself more probably than ever before before I mean I literally wake up in the morning Maxine and I say I love you yeah it's beautiful isn't it I do yeah Yeah, and it feels so good 
Yeah. So you're learning to meet your own needs. You're learning to learning. listen. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to yourself, listening to your feelings, listening to what you need, honoring that voice. And so if I go back to why I got into psychotherapy was because I had the laryngitis. When I finished my training, I no longer have, never had laryngitis ever since. And I learned to speak up. I learned to acknowledge metaphor. what I wanted. Think. Yeah, Your exactly. Was really it was showing yeah. you what you needed to do. You, our bodies are always showing us if we listen to it. Yes. And so that self-love journey, which um, for me is very much about embodying that inner child, loving, taking hold of her or him and listening, witnessing, seeing, acknowledging all the things that we wanted in childhood. And this is not bashing parents. Parents do the best job they can. With what they have to work um, with. Indeed, I agree. Yeah, with what they have to work with. And so, you know, we, we move through that process of learning to meet our own needs, learning to love ourselves and stopping that inner critic, that judgy part of ourselves from constantly giving us a hard time you know if you're someone that works so hard that you're always drained you you have to learn to give your body rest and to me it's when when we've gone through this you know divorce and love the way we viewed love previously it could have been to you know a little bit um, we could have false, a false relationship to love. We might have had this overprojected fantasy around what love is. We have to now start to reimagine love. What is love really for us now? And I'm going to be would honest be- with you. Now that I'm in that place, I feel a little disappointed. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is what this is what love is. It's not this grand. You know, it's not the movies. It's not what I was conditioned to believe I would mm. have if I was mm-hmm. married. Mm, and so there's right. been some grief around that to be completely of course. transparent yeah. and accepting that I will never meet one human who will satisfy all these needs I have. And I better do the internal work and keep doing it so that I don't crave that or, you know, it's almost like an addiction. It's like you just want it so much. I mean, women get divorced and they still want it, right? I mean, in our midlife, we're still like waiting for this one person to be our special person. Yeah. And it, for well, me, that's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that to myself. I'm yeah. But love that, that, myself a little bit more that to not need this other person to be that I, I, does it make sense? Yeah, no, no, that? I absolutely understand what you're saying. And, and that's a childhood wound where we are projecting outside of ourselves. Oh, I totally that agree with you. We are going to find this thing, this person it's who is going entity. to yeah, solve all our issues and problems and we can rely on them for our as our source of happiness and love and that is that is the work that is the work so it is disappointing because we sort of have been conditioned yes through stories movies life books everything even cinderella and all that stuff we're gonna meet your prince and he's gonna rescue you but so it's also so freeing it, absolute liberation it doesn't it takes a lot of pressure off yeah off the other person and, and off of relationship too in some way yeah well, you are the one. Oh, I know that now. Well, I didn't know that in yeah. my 20s, Maxine. <laughs> no, I wish I would no, have. No, well, I didn't know it in my 20s either. <laughs> I, didn't I, didn't really know, I didn't really know it in my 30s either. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's where it comes into, like, how do you love yourself? How do you want to be loved? What does love look like to you? 
what is what what are your needs what are your needs what are needs that you can meet in yourself and what would you love in a partner or I didn't go into my first marriage thinking oh I would love this in my relationship I went with a pre conditioned idea of what marriages should be like and it didn't suit me anyway (laughs) (laughs) marriage is not for everyone Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm actually engaged. I'm actually Oh, sure. But I'm just saying generically speaking, marriage isn't for everybody. And that's okay. You can still have love and deep love without necessarily absolutely. Um and and yeah. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But if you do the research around marriage, it's it's an old construct designed for certain reasons. Yeah. You know, so so whether we do or we don't, it's really about the quality of love and the closeness and the intimacy. And all of that starts with, well, what is your relationship with yourself like? And if you are disconnected from yourself, if you're disconnected from your needs and your desires, and you're showing up in life in a pretty mediocre way, I don't say that judgmentally. I just say that, but because that's what happens. We can, you know, lose ourselves, lose sight, and we have no sense of self. And that is what's showing up in our relationship. And so both partners become very disconnected. So it is about reinventing yourself and your, your desire for love and how that shows up. So how would you encourage people who are listening to find themselves. I mean, you know, clearly we have only so many more minutes in our chat yeah. today, but what would just be a couple of nuggets of wisdom you yeah. can impart? Well, first and foremost, start asking yourself, what do I love? What do I love? If you wake up every day and say, what do I love? Doesn't mean to say you have to go do that today, but say like you wake up in the morning and you keep getting the nudge that you love to go and sing, go, go and sing. Like, start singing. If the nudge is, I love to paint, paint. If it's to write, write. If it's to be in nature, be in nature. So often we deny ourselves the very simple things that we love. And so start having a conversation with that, with with your inner world, with your highest self, with with your soul. Do some journaling. If you wake up every day and just journal, start with journaling, you know, beautiful soul, what would you like to say today? And just journal and let it all out. a good friend to me. Oh, I like to journal about how I like to feel. So it's interesting that you, yeah, you share this I, because that has really yeah. helped me. It just makes me feel I, better to focus on how I like to feel. Absolutely. If, if you focus on how you like to feel and you just keep writing about that and keep stepping in and, and take one tiny step each day, one tiny commitment to feeling how you would like to feel, Within 30 days, you will start to feel different. You will feel different. I guarantee it. If you do it consistently. It's about consistency, isn't it? It is. So that would be my first thing is I'll start asking yourself, what would I love? The second thing I would I would really work on is, I mean, I, I meditate and I do all those sort of things. So just taking even five minutes to go within and sit in silence. And initially, if that's the first time you've done that, there's going to be lots and lots of thoughts. Lot of just witness them. It's a practice. Yeah. It is a practice, but acknowledge them, witness them and let them go. They don't mean anything anyway. And then it's really about learning to stay, you know, the emotions, beginning to listen and witness your feelings, acknowledge them and ask yourself, what do you need? 
If you develop a relationship, if anybody listening starts to develop that relationship with themselves, they will become more in touch and more attuned to their authentic self. And I think that is such an important part of anyone's journey, but particularly if you're going through a breakup or divorce. You mentioned something in our pre-show chat that I thought was so profound, and it was about giving others the freedom to do and be who they are. I think once we give ourselves that freedom, Mm. it's so much easier to give someone else that freedom. Mm. You're nodding Mm. your head. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you spoke at the beginning about, you know, the hate, when we hate someone so much. Often there's aspects of ourselves that we hate, we dislike, we disown, and then we project them out onto other people. So when we reclaim those bits back, you know, when we love our love handles or, (laughs) yeah, forgive ourselves, accept ourselves as we are, that acceptance gives us, you know, a deepening into accepting others. And as you say, it gives us that permission to let people be who they are. I love your mission statement on your website, change your inner world. So your outer world changes. Let's end there. Yeah. Anything yeah. to add to that mission statement? It's beautiful. Yeah. Just, just that your, you know, your, your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. So if you make Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change you want to be or see in the world. And so when you change your inner world, when you have a different relationship with yourself, your external relationships change. And let's face it, you can't control other people. So you work on yourself <laughs> and be gentle with yourself. Like you said earlier, always a journey. It's a fluid experience yeah. and waves. Yeah. We have to do all of this with a, like a kind and compassionate heart, we do, especially for, for, for ourselves. And then we can also give that to others as well. Like no one is a, you know, a bad person. Like essentially, I don't believe anyone if they are, it's because they're, they've got a lot of hurt or that, or there's mental issues or something like that. But I felt very much in my first marriage and my second marriage, but particularly my second marriage, you know, I didn't, was not going to hate the man that I had spent 12 years with who I, during that time, loved deeply. And we have two beautiful children Mm -hmm. and I just thought, I'm not going to hate him. It's it's just, I just not going to happen. So that's what I decided. And, and I don't hate him at all. I, I, I love, you love yourself him. so much. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm the divorce coach extraordinaire. <laughs> In the uh, relationship expert. Someday I'd love to be a yeah. oh, relationship expert. I love that. Go. <laughs> How can our listeners learn more about all things Maxine Clancy? Because you are um, a wise lady. I want people to know more about you. How can they find you? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Instagram is probably the easiest place to find me. I'm under um, Divorce Detox Coach. And then my website's www.maxineclancy.com. And if anyone wants to obviously get in touch with me, there's a form on there to contact me. Well, Maxine, thank you again for this enriching conversation It is such a powerful healing journey with so much possibility, so much possibility. It is. Thank you for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Please be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can also follow Sadie's Divorced and Happy podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and be sure to visit us at divorcedandhappy.net. As a gift to our listeners, Maxine invites you to download her holistic divorce well-being guide found on her website at maxineclancy.com backslash resources. I'm your host, Sadie Marie, and I cannot wait to connect with you on the next podcast episode. 
Till then, you take good care. <laughs>